welcome back to Spark. I'm Jacob. Uh, we're excited for a new semester here with SOPO. We had, it was kind of a cluster bomb getting this room. We put in the request, uh, must have not have gotten processed right. Thankfully, Buddy Will from Chadbourne, freshman year, got us hooked up down in the basement in the chart room. So we're just vibing down here. It's kind of cozy. Um, we got a nice topographical map of, of Mendota behind us and of the new marina. So uh, we're excited. Um, David, take us away. All right. So uh, there's been a lot of crazy stuff happening in the world of politics over the last month or so. Um, as most of you are aware, the impeachment proceedings have really kicked up a notch. Um, we nearly avoided war with Iran. And as well as the fact the Democratic Party uh, nomination process is really starting to heat up. Uh, first and foremost, though, we're going to start with impeachment proceedings. Um, so as we, report the, as we record this podcast right now, the impeachment proceedings have kind of moved into a new phase where senators are currently asking questions to the appropriate side or the appropriate counsel. And that whole process is being uh, presided over by Chief Justice Roberts. Uh, but first, let's kind of recap how we got here. On September 24th, Speaker Nancy Pelosi initiated a formal impeachment inquiry against President Donald Trump uh, after a whistleblower claimed that Trump had withheld hundreds of millions of dollars of uh, military aid from Ukraine over what the current impeachment um, prosecutors are alleging as personal matters. Um, the claims are that Trump pressured the newly elected president Volodymyr Zelensky to launch an investigation into Hunter Biden and Burisma, Burisma, uh, the Ukrainian national gas company that Biden served on as a board member of, uh, and the argument is that he did this for political ammunition against uh, Biden in the upcoming presidential race. Uh, again, that pursues that or presumes that Biden is going to be the presidential nominee. Uh, whether that's actually going to happen remains to be seen. Uh, we'll touch on that later. Uh, as we move into uh, December of 2019, the House Judiciary Committee officially voted to recommend two articles of impeachment for abuse of power and obstruction of Congress. Um, two days later, on December 15th, these articles were approved by the House in a near party line vote, with pretty much all but three of the Democrats voting in favor of impeachment and all of the Republicans and those three Democrats voting against it. One of them being, well, Tulsi Gabbard didn't vote against it, she just abstained. She, okay, I apologize. Yeah. She abstained. Um, one of those nominees, uh, New Jersey Representative Jeff Van Drew, has since defected the Republican Party, um, further uh, increasing this divide between the, the House and, or the House Republicans and Democrats. Um, and after a, a tense month, uh, the articles of impeachment were finally submitted to the Senate on January 16th. Um, there had been talk that perhaps. Pelosi was going to hold on to these impeachment articles as political ammunition over Trump's head until the election. Um, I think Adam Schiff put it pretty succinctly when he said that, in fact, um, they would not be holding these articles of impeachment over Trump's head. Um, and the fact that allowing him in a Representative Schiff's mind to continue operating as president is detrimental to the, pres um, the entire U.S. So that's fun. Um, opening arguments began last Wednesday and concluded yesterday. Um, the Democratic manager's case can be summarized with Adam Schiff's quote from the second day of opening arguments. Uh, should Congress just get over it? Should the American people just come to expect that our presidents will corruptly abuse their office to seek the help of foreign power to cheat in our elections? Should we just get over it? Is that what we've come to? I hope and pray that the answer is no. Uh, 
pretty pretty powerful stuff there by Mr. Schiff. Uh, he then presented the second article of impeachment about lying to Congress as an instance that harkens back to Cold War and decision by multiple U.S. presidents to basically keep Congress in the dark about multiple foreign policy decisions. Um, the case being here was that President Trump didn't alert anyone in Congress and refused to answer almost any questions about the matter until they, you know, dragged him into the courtroom. Uh, the defense arguments, um, the key takeaways that I pretty much stole from The Guardian. Um, first point, uh, Trump's conduct towards the Ukraine did not stem from a desire to smear Joe Biden, but from concerns about corruption in Ukraine. So again, his side is, is arguing that, in fact, uh, he was not uh, attempting to have Zelensky investigate Biden as a matter of uh, political power or political smear campaign, but rather because he's worried that Joe Biden's son, Hunter, was involved in um, corruption um, with his company, as well as the fact that there were numerous claims being made that the campaign election hacking of 2016 came from Ukraine and not Russia. Um, should be noted that the intelligence committee or the uh, intelligence community doesn't necessarily agree with these claims, but Trump doesn't necessarily agree with the intelligence committee. So I guess we're at a crossroads there. Um, so the defense also argued that anything that uh, former Secretary of Defense Bolton um, argues is, is even if National true, Security Advisor. National Security Advisor, I apologize. Uh, anything in the book, if proven true, is not an impeachable offense. Um, and the third point that they have made is that the impeaching of the president sets a negative and dangerous precedent. Um, I, I suppose the, the prospect of impeaching a president for what... I guess they're arguing was was a non-criminal uh, matter that certainly would set a negative precedent if he is found innocent. Um, that remains to be seen. Um, so anyway, the the questioning period has just begun today. Um, I actually haven't had a chance to look at any of those questions yet and what was asked versus what was answered. Um, but again, Chief Justice Roberts is presiding over that. He is taking questions from various senators and distributing them to the correct counsel side. Um, and this Friday, uh, upcoming Friday, I should say, marks a massive day for the impeachment proceedings. Um, the Senate will vote officially on whether to call for witnesses. Um, here, if witnesses are called for, you can expect Bolton to be called to the stand, and he has since provided one of many accounts of what seems to be um, Trump's line to Congress about uh, his, his role in perhaps uh, withholding aid from Ukraine. Um, if the Senate decides not to allow witnesses, then we could see a vote as early as next week on whether or not to acquit the president. Um, I think as it stands right now, it's pretty likely that if that vote were taken, that President Trump would be acquitted, um, just based on party lines and the fact that the, Senate, the Republicans control the Senate. Um, but that's something definitely to monitor going forward. Uh, so now we're going to open it up. Um, does anyone have any thoughts on the case, anything of that nature? Yeah, I mean, I think it's definitely significant that we're seeing the third time that a president has actually been impeached. Um, I do think it sets a precedent that Donald Trump isn't invis invincible in Washington. Um, however, as you stated before, party lines are really what's going to make this a make or break deal. And I think due to the fact that we have a Democratic majority House and a Republican majority Senate, um, we're putting a lot of analysis into these impeachment hearings, but while the impeachment has happened, I do think he is going to be acquitted, and I don't think that there are going to be any long-term effects of this impeachment process. Um, 
I think it's important that the House has considered whether or not to impeach the president and has moved forward. Um, but short term, that's what's going to happen. I think long term, not even long term, in a few weeks, we're going to see that this isn't going to amount to too much and he will be acquitted. Yeah, I've thought this whole thing was kind of a waste of time since day one. I did the math earlier, and I just don't think Republicans are going to turn on Trump. I think that's the end of the day. Like I did the math earlier, and like 18 Republicans would have to turn on him, which is an absurd amount to happen. Like one or two I could see realistically possibly occurring, but 18 I just don't think that would happen. I think I think a lot of the Democrats knew... Who, a lot of the Democrats who voted to impeach him knew that he wouldn't get removed from office. I think that they did it as a deft political maneuver because for those senators, for those Republican senators that are up for re-election this year, that are maybe in not even necessarily a fully vulnerable but a somewhat vulnerable position, having voted to acquit him or having voted not even to allow test uh uh, witnesses to testify because there is a new poll that says that 75% of people think that the witnesses should testify. So, so, well, yeah. so it's like it's not even necessarily if he gets acquitted. I think just the process mm -hmm. the process was important because of, I, I think that if there wasn't a process it would be well I know it would be way more damaging than if there was a process and he gets acquitted because if he doesn't even get impeached you're essentially letting him go. You're, yeah, you're you're letting him go scot free completely. Mm -hmm. Like it, it, we don't even we don't see this as questionable behavior mm -hmm. because it's it's he hasn't been necessarily charged politically. Mm -hmm. He's kind of been, but not fully. Right. See, I, I the thing that kind of confuses me most about this trial is the Republican seemingly refusal to allow witnesses. If you're going to acquit the president anyway, you might as well draw on witnesses and then acquit him regardless, and then he can go ahead and claim that even with witnesses, he was still acquitted and he's guilt-free. I understand maybe... I don't know. You, you, you stick him up in front of a national TV, the witnesses, mm -hmm. who... Because who, who, what, what, I, for, I forget what, which one of the attorneys for the defense said that not a single witness called can provide firsthand knowledge. Right. I yeah. think then if they let the witnesses testify, mm -hmm. then they can they they really have they have no semblance right. of a shield anymore. True. But I mean Bolton is coming forward to publish his book which has a first hand account anyway. The information's how many people are gonna read that though? How many people are gonna listen to the impeachment proceedings? Fair, but but people will see people will see the bits mm -hmm. on the nightly news or I, I suppose physically going out in front of a camera and, and speaking your mind is definitely going to be more damaging than putting it in writing from yeah because right now it's, yeah. it's like he's under a gag order yes yeah pretty much by executive by article two mm -hmm. one point i want to push back that ryan said though is i don't think this is going to have no impact on the president as we saw with hillary clinton just the the scandal of having the information or her emails you know the whole she didn't use a personal server for personal emails or secure server uh, for personal emails that dogged her entire campaign. P perhaps now, obviously, this is an foregone conclusion. Uh, we have a lot of race left to go, but perhaps the the scandal of being impeached will be enough to raise questions about Trump's uh, moral standing with voters come the twenty twenty election. Um, again, that really remains to be seen, but you know, it's it's a possibility. This will have long term effects that we just haven't recognized yet. But well, yeah. We It'll yeah. for sure be in history yeah. textbooks yeah. when Definitely. kids, you know, 50 years right. from now are reading about the different presidents. But <laughs> um, 
with regards to the election, I think Trumpism is so strong and mm-hmm. so durable that even mm-hmm. you could go on Fifth region. Avenue and shoot someone, right? And you would get away. We've with just them. never been down this path before, so it's like yeah, where it's, where it's just been this blatant, you know? Like it's and, and it's I find it comical because you look at the people that just jump on board with him. I saw before and after uh, opening monologues from different Fox news programs of talking about John Bolton back when he they originally when Trump originally decided to have him be his national security advisor and then like two days ago and it was it was comical because they're they're talking before about like his intellect and like his knowledge of everything and then afterwards he's Complete just a he's a political hack who doesn't know anything he's dumb he's Part not a swamp yeah it's like what government elite That's come on down the president. yeah well and i also find it funny how they claim he's part of the swamp but then trump's supposed to drain the swamp mm-hmm. but then everyone he brings on and fires is yet part of the swamp mm-hmm. it's just it's That's it's, called politics well i mean it's it's <laughs> politics but i also i mean to a certain extent now i mean it's it's the the ignorance that they're playing on people is just mm-hmm. overwhelming. And I think yeah, it's important to say that yes, this is politics, but I think this is one of the first one of the few instances where the president, whether it be a Democrat or Republican, has shifted so drastically from the historic values of that party mm-hmm. and has kind of created a new sense of what it means to be a Republican mm-hmm. in today's America because I think most Republicans who worked in the Bush administration, a lot of these issues obviously aren't coming up and the dynamics and sort of the rhetoric of what it means to be a Republican mm-hmm. is mm-hmm. drastically different even when it was in, you know, the 2012 election. With yeah. mm-hmm. and, and I would argue even the, the, the office of the presidency as well. I read you know, a paper like, on that. He, theoretically speaking... He is what would be classified as a demagogue, and we have never had a megalomaniac. Who it's not even that; it's just the way he went about speaking in his speeches and on Twitter, especially. Mm-hmm. He's really the first president who's met all four of the main benchmarks that's required to be classified as a demagogue. George Wallace from Alabama would be a um, comparable politician. So, what are what are the four tenets? Could you walk? Give me a minute. I forgot. Okay. I wrote a paper on it. Get some Jeopardy music going yeah. in the background. <laughs> yeah, I, th- I mean, I, I think it's interesting because you know, policy is policy. And, and I've talked to a fair amount of people who voted my age, our age, I should say, and also people who are older than us who voted for Trump in 2016 and are, are now are just like, he didn't deliver on like a lot of the things that I cared about, mm-hmm. and he like policy is policy. But when you go virtually out of your way to denigrate, I would say not only the American political institution and machine, but just the American reputation within America and worldwide. Mm-hmm. That definitely uh, his entire campaign strategy was making America great again. It's a in some way, shape, or form, that we had fallen from from global standing, and we had, yeah. we had lost our way. Yeah. And when if if you run on that, that's different than physically governing in that sense. But he hasn't lost that edge that, in some way, shape, or form, he still needs to go out and reform 
everything. Yeah. And I, I think the fact of the matter is that for a lot of America, that's it's been disappointed by other politicians. And I, I think it's fair to say that a number of presidents have kind of let the American public down and some of the, the things they've promised to change. Sure. Um, it, it's it's just almost yeah. bound to happen that, that yeah. you know, we're, we're going to see kind of a... And I, 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 also, I also find it, find it interesting you bring that up because I, I don't know how many, take for example, farmers, right, mm-hmm. have been greatly affected by the trade war. Mm-hmm. Not make, They've been losing a lot of potential income, but then they just get a fat check in the mail. Like that, that is something where it's like, I, I don't, I don't know how, I kind of see it almost as buying the voter. Oh, absolutely. You know, cause it's like, it's not even like you're doing something that affects everyone at like the grand scale like you're just a lot of the people who voted for you last time you did a policy that is directly negatively affecting them so you're just sending them a fat check in the mail and i think for a lot of people trumpism and being behind our president is more of a feeling and an ideology than it is a policy Mm -hmm. by policy thing Mm -hmm. and that's why uh like you said a lot of farmers manufacturing workers are going to be really adversely affected by this trade war yet they might not see the consequences or see that this is directly linked to our president because they're not following politics day to day but this sort of make a make america great again sentiment um and sort of changing the dynamics of our country is something they can get behind without necessarily being behind all of his policies and quite frankly they don't necessarily care about that mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. i'm yeah. from rural florida and it's hard to drive five minutes without seeing a maga flag so yeah <laughs> so i believe you have the tenants for it yes i found them okay so there are four things that the politician must do to be considered a demagogue the first is that they must fashion themselves as a man of the common people and not one of the elites All check right. we know Kinda. trump loves to brag about how much money he has cast billionaire but his water cooler talk especially on twitter Mm -hmm. kind of i would guess um outweighs that so he's able to fashion himself as one and and he also he also create he strives to create a very Mm self-made self-made rich man Mm -hmm. which i think is 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 not necessarily like a lot of people don't see that as elite you know you know like it's it's elite work and it's and it's sort of in ideology like that's a goal of most yeah. americans yeah. is to be this rich dream. mogul in whatever industry you're mm-hmm. in and no one embodies that more than donald trump mm-hmm. okay the second one and he clearly does this is that their politics must trigger a powerful emotional response from the people check that's clearly <laughs> checked the third is that they must use the emotional response to gain political power and benefit themselves. Check. And then also what's interesting about that was there was a research done post the 2016 campaign where it was estimated that he gained himself like 2.8, can't remember if it's million or billion free media and advertisement just from being himself. Mm, just because yeah. CNN, Fox, and you know. Because they're going to the talk news, about him. Like just him being himself got him so much publicity that you can't even track. It's, yeah. it's amazing. Almost. I mean, I would say that's probably true for most presidents is that you're going to get attention mm-hmm. in the media just from doing everything. Mm-hmm. Granted, Trump's tone and the things he Hillary says. Hillary tweeted more than Trump during the last week of the election. I, but if Hillary it's were just, president, she'd also yeah. be getting constant media attention. Well, it, this is just focused on the election itself. Like, just during that last week, he was, even though Hillary tweeted so much more, him just being himself got him so much more coverage. Yeah, that's fair. Amazing. 
it almost feels as if Trump managed to take the adage that any publicity is good publicity and quite literally spin that in the presidency. Oh, 100%. That, what, he, I mean, he took that idea like, and literally how, ran with it. How many people honest. talked about him after the Access Hollywood tapes? Oh, my God. And like he, then he yeah. still got elected president. Like what? Like a month later? Yeah. In the midst, right at the beginning of the Me Too scandal, too. Yeah. Which is insane that yeah. no one questioned it. I mean, people questioned it. It's, you know. Yeah. It's well, amazing. Will, it's yeah, amazing to see me. that he's president. This flows really well into the last one, which four. is that the leader must threaten tyranny or outright break the established rules of conduct, institutions, or even the law. So. Check. That's. <laughs> For the sake of nonpartisanship, I'm going to say he hasn't overtly threatened to be tyrannical. He, yet. he, has, he has not overtly threatened. And he did it by putting all of these parent paranoid ideas into the heads of the American people. Like he just yeah. Told if, them you, all if, you, stuff. if you if you if you argue that like uh, if you try to link some of the like anti-Semitism and uh, treatment and and views of. Immigrants, especially, yes. you could, you could, you could argue that it's slap on the wrist for white supremacists. Yeah, yeah. he just flat good out, people on both sides. He just <laughs> flat out attacked his political opponents, and especially during the campaign, the Obama administration. Oh yeah. So well, he 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 also he was like one of the main guys behind Obama being uh, Obama being a Muslim. All right, um, so we are now joined by the great Albiona. Uh, nice to see you. <laughs> Uh, so for the take the sake of time, we're going to shift gears a little bit and move towards the Democratic nomination race. Um, Jacob, do you have any any comments or thoughts? Well, don't want to I, put you on the spot. There. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> uh, I saw a meme the other day where it was Joe Biden saying like asking his advisors, "Okay, can I stop pretending I'm like I'm a bumbling buffoon so I don't have to answer questions now?" <laughs> Which I was like, you know, like that. That's not like a bad take because I do feel like, I feel like, and this, I, I don't know where this is coming from, but it, it might, I feel like he almost portrays himself as being the old grandpa now, more so than like he wants to be. And I think that he is more capable, especially when speaking, than he portrays himself and is portrayed. Mm-hmm. Uh, which might, which I might be completely wrong, but I just find it interesting. Um, and also, Andrew Yang didn't make the last debate, so I'm kind of kind of sad boy about that. But <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, I think we're definitely starting to see the race narrow down a bit, um, and I think as it moves forward. We're starting to see more and more reputable sources give their endorsements. I know the New York Times just did this big special where they interviewed all the Democratic candidates, and then they ended up um, endorsing Warren and Klobuchar. So I think like as the primaries start to heat up, we're going to really get a sense of what this primary is going to look like. Um, I think there are definitely still some candidates that are on the debate stage that really aren't gaining much traction. Um, and I think we're going to see that this is going to come down to a three or four person race starting soon. Um, that being said, I think the media is giving so much attention to these first like Iowa, New Hampshire caucuses, um, as they always do. But I think it's interesting to see this when those are just two states that make, you know, marginal impact on the electoral college. So 
it'll be interesting to see what happens, but I would say um, I think Biden and Warren are probably the two um, realistic candidates that I see potentially getting the nomination just in terms of voter turnout. I think they both kind of embody what different types of voters are looking for um, within the Democratic Party. Obviously, Warren is the more... <clears throat> ambitious progressive candidate in terms of her policies and biden is sort of this moderate um well-established politician i think there's definitely some concerns about his age but um i think those are sort of the two candidates that we'll see making a big push Um, not bernie um i think bernie's probably third but i i don't think um you don't foresee him being in the top two no I read an article today that said Mike Bloomberg is second in Florida at the moment, so I'm confused. I think Mike Bloomberg honestly would have been a great candidate if he, if he got in the race at he a normal did it right. time, <laughs> participated in, in yeah. any of these yeah. debates, yeah, instead of just using his money to buy, you know, million attention and like yeah. his media. The amount of Hulu ads. I yeah, for him yeah, no kidding. Okay. I was just gonna say I saw one last night. I, every time I watch something, I swear I see him. I think for him it's too little too late, but... Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, we never know. That's the end of it. This is true. Like, but. Iowa and New Hampshire, only two. They're 51 total. Right. So True, but but I also I also think that it's... I do think that in, in primaries that there is momentum. You know, I think that if you can lasso some voters lasso some some good support in those two states and people see like oh like this person might actually have a chance mm-hmm. they're a lot more apt to vote for you in mm-hmm. on super tuesday or whatever yeah i know a lot of people who have been kind of either going bernie or nothing you know either if he's not in the primary then like they're not going to start they're not going to vote at all because they don't want any other candidate um, but that makes sense. You know what I mean? Those people are kind of like m- more far to the left. I don't know. I don't know. So I, I'm really not up to date on the nomination process. I really kind of right. start tuning in after Iowa and right before New Hampshire, um, you know, because I'm, I'm a true, uh, um, I guess, lazy uh, voter. I, I, I come in when it's been better than Better than the majority, I think. Oh, well, yeah, but still. I mean, I, I come in once I see who's kind of going to win and like, oh, yeah. I, I can throw myself behind that person. Let's go. Yeah. Bandwagon. Bandwagon. All right. Um, Go Lakers. <laughs> not a chance. Bandwagon the Bucks, though. Yeah, for sure. Didn't start watching until last year. Um, all right, so for the sake of time, I think we're going to kind of cut through some of these questions. Um, I guess just the last question I want to pose because it's kind of fun. Is anyone feeling the burn right now? No. I'm always feeling really. the burn. My dad's feeling the burn. Free college would be kind of nice right now. Mm-hmm. How are we gonna pay? For I mean, that? it. You know, I or think cross the bridge when we get to it. Yeah, exactly. Just like healthcare. <laughs> yep. Um, and I, I, I also, I also think that both of them do kind of. If you do it free, like college, one hundred percent. I don't. I do think they present a little bit of a moral hazard problem. You know, like you have the opportunity to. So I know. Then this is coming from a straight, capitalistic view. Um. But I wonder how many more people would major in something like music, art, mm. etc. 
humanities. Not that those are bad majors in in and of themselves, but I wonder how many people would choose to pursue a degree in that if they don't have any college debt hanging over them when they get out the end. Mm -hmm. Like here at Madison, if you like, I I know a fair amount of people who go into business or whatever because like they're just like I want to be able to like pay off my student debt and then like whatever to move on from there. But if you can come out with a degree in X with having no college debt, does that change your calculus? Which I think it would. I think it would. It's an interesting point. I had never considered previously, but I don't know. That still seems such a hypothetical. It is very hypothetical. Mm -hmm. It would also raise the question of graduate school and what that would look like. Because would that be paid for? Um, I don't think so. I don't think if it's not, they could probably jack up their prices exponentially now that you Mm -hmm. don't Mm -hmm. have to pay for it. Make up for it. Yep. You know, I think you'd see a number of institutions of kind of maybe not lower quality education, but certainly like smaller schools kind of die out as, you know, mm-hmm. perhaps they can. Mm-hmm. Yeah, cause, mm-hmm. because then it'll be like a consolidation. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, but it would be interesting. I definitely, I don't necessarily know if I want free college, but it'd be kind of cool to see. Would that throw, throw potentially make admissions harder as well if there's more people applying? Or am I just... I mean, maybe. Degrees? I think yeah. realistically, I mean... You know, UW-Madison can only take however many thousand incoming class. If money is not a factor, then, yeah, the applications are going to increase by quite a bit. Yeah. Um, Especially with out-of-state people. So, I think... uh, I mean, that's the thing, though, right? Like, if you don't have the barrier of, like, the monetary barrier, you're going to have other barriers to get over. You know what I mean? Like, not Mm -hmm. all colleges... Yeah, sure, they might be flooded with, like, admissions and stuff like that, but, like, they're not going to start accepting everyone just because the college tuition isn't, like, as high as it used to be. I think, if anything, Bernie probably wouldn't make college free, but, you know, lower the amount, like, of debt that you leave college with, like, exponentially, and that's, like, what I would love to see. You could, you've, like, you see it overseas in many European countries, as well as the healthcare over there, too. Mm-hmm. And I don't think it's, like, out of our reach. I just think that it's going to be mm-hmm. really hard to do, and it takes someone super dedicated and, like, yeah. you know what I mean? Like, yeah, wanting to do it. So, like, I, yeah. we've just been kind of flo- like floating in our little state right now, you know, haven't done any reform on anything. Yeah. Yeah, well, but, it, it, I mean, there are definitely, I think it comes to a trade-off between what seems, you know... Mm economically promising and what logistically makes sense and works in our country you know comparing us to sweden is not True. something that always yeah. works out um or almost even in, in countries yeah or all of them, even actually. canada our neighbor you know you if you don't have private insurance or it can take months and months just to see a doctor yep. and, and it disincentivizes people to become a doctor because right. that's obviously such a high paying field and a desirable career in our country. So I think it's, you know, ambitious and promising to say that free healthcare, free college would work. But I think just saying it happens in this country, it should happen here. There's some, mm-hmm. there's a gap that needs to be bridged there in that rhetoric. Right, but I, and I don't think we'd, like, skip the gap, you know what I mean? I don't think that's, like, realistic to think that, yeah. like, he hasn't thought about these issues, too. Like, oh, how are we going to get from point A to point B? There's obviously going to be this trans- transition period. But no you know one knows what, what it is. Well, no right. one knows how we're going to pay for right. it. Right, but do we know what anyone's, what any of the plans of the other, like, presidential candidates are really going to be? Do we know? Well, like, no, but, you like, they, I mean? but they have but they have a stated policy. True. You know, like, Warren and, and, and Bernie, they just said, yeah, we're getting it. She's got yeah. a plan for that. 
But... I guess so. <laughs> All right. Uh, for the sake of time, I think we're going to move on to our, our final topic that oh. you know, we're going to hit pretty hard. Um, and this, th- this one is really? just one that really kind of scares the hell out of me. Uh, it's it's the conflict with Iran and how that's going to negatively affect our. You're not seriously going to go through all the, through all these talking points. No, no, no we're going to skip. We're going to skip. I think we just start at Iran. Okay. So I, I guess we kind of started start the killing with, of Soleimani. Start maybe. Uh, okay. Well, yeah, I'm, I'm going to say let's start at December because December kind of leads into Soleimani. Okay. And provides a yeah. backdrop for that. So uh, December of, of 2019, um, the militia group uh, named Fatib. Hezbollah, which is a group with direct ties to Iran and Soleimani, attacks the K-1 military base base near the Arab city of Kirkuk uh, with rockets. Jordanian-based terrorist organization, I believe. Yes, yes. Based out of Jordan, but funded by, pretty much directly by Soleimani, um, which kills an American contractor and wounds other several American and Iraqi personnel. Um, in response, there was a pretty strong um, vocal response by Trump's administration as, as well as the military force. You know, we the U.S. conducted airstrikes on facilities in Iraq and Syria. Um, the Pentagon claimed that 25 people were killed. Um, it's unclear how many of these were civilians versus combatants. Um, all, all we do know is that as a result, the U.S. Embassy in Baghdad was stormed by Iraqi supporters of Khatib Hezbollah. Um, Trump declares on Twitter that this event was the work of Iran um, and pretty much by extension Soleimani. So on January 3rd, in retaliation of the storming of Baghdad and kind of this tit-for-tat escalation of, of tension with um, Iranian-backed militia groups, um, a drone strike took out Soleimani and a number of his um, handlers and security personnel outside of the Baghdad International Airport as he was getting ready to leave, or as he was in the process of leaving. Um, as a direct result of that, on January 8th, Iran responded by launching multiple missile strikes against two Iraqi bases housing U.S. personnel. Thankfully, no one was killed. Because they told them. Right. <laughs> and they didn't even go near it. Mm-hmm. They didn't even land near it. Uh, and since then, um, tensions have, have cooled um, a little bit, I should say. We're, we're not on the on the brink of war, as it seemed uh, on that night. On January 3rd. Yes. Um, All the memes. <laughs> <laughs> World War Three, you wake up and you're drafted. <laughs> and it's it, it, it's also interesting because the now there's what like fifty some mm-hmm. U.S. service members that have traumatic brain injuries mm-hmm. as a result. Right, which which the Wait, president has since said of... of the rocket blast. Oh the, really? Okay. The, the force of the blast themselves gave oh, wow. personal concussions. Um, president Trump has since said that that's no big deal. Um, I guess in the grand stake of, of war, U.S. warfare, it's probably concussions bad. are probably better than death. Yeah. That being said, though, I don't think it's necessarily no big deal. Um, we've kind of seen with football the effects of, of concussions, mm-hmm. and and mm-hmm. I think it's in a very public manner now that the mm-hmm. effects of CT and traumatic brain injuries have on, mm-hmm. on personnel. And of course, um, as we unfortunately know, many of these service members aren't going to receive the benefits that they need to when they return mm-hmm. back stateside. Um, but that's a conversation for a different day. Um, but I guess this brings us to most recently, which two days ago, a military plane crashed in Afghanistan. Um, as of today, Iran claimed that, in fact, the man who orchestrated the attack on Soleimani, um, I forget his name, but the CIA operative who planned out the event, was one of the people on board of the plane. The U.S. hasn't commented on that so far. All we know is two bodies were recovered, but this is definitely something to watch. Um, as we go forward, I don't think we're going to see a lot of you know, military strikes directly by Iran. I do think we're going to see an uptick in militia group violence. I think we're going to see an uptick in covert warfare. 
well, we won't see it, but the U.S. will step up operations mm. covertly. But yeah, so was, I guess I'm going to pose this question. Do you think that Trump was necessarily right to order this killing? Um, I think that he, the man definitely deserved to die. Um, Can we get a bell for a hot take? Um, <laughs> no, I think I, I, I didn't say that Trump was right in how yes, he killed him or right. ordering the killing, mm-hmm. but I do think that he deserved to die. That is fair. I mean, very multiple, bad man. M- multiple presidents have considered killing him. A lot. How many U.S. service members has he contributed to killing? How hundreds, many civilians has hundreds, thousands? Hundreds. We'll, we'll never know. Probably tens of thousands. Like, you know, like very, very bad person. Yeah. However, I do think that. If you were gonna do it, you could have done it in a better way. I, I agree. I, w- I I don't think a drone strike. It was it was it wasn't even like it was at night. It was during the day, right? It, it was, there. It, it was. It was early morning. It, it, it was, was during the day, and to the, I, I believe from what I've heard was that to like a fairly casual observer, it was very obvious it was a U.S. drone, not even like an yeah. unmarked, nondescript drone. Yeah. Was, it, at an airport. Right. International airport. Probably not the best way to do it. No, I, there was press on site yeah. to record him landing. So the yeah. same press members were there to, to physically see and mm-hmm. immediately report on what just transpired. So I'm like, I only know about this, you know, through social media and like mm-hmm. friends and things like that. But what was the reason for the strike itself? Like, was there something that like was, you know, he... So like, I don't he, know. Was, he was viewed as, as stoking the fire and funding the siege of the U of the US consulate in okay. Baghdad, Iraq. Oh, okay. And and he's like he has like selfies with like the ISIS leaders and stuff. No, I know, but I mean at that moment. You know what at I mean? That moment, in January. It was, was it there was a in reason Baghdad. why it was just yeah. like, oh I see. And then okay. and there then were also he claims also claims of an immediate attack that he was planning. This is where the answer hasn't been as clear as one would have hoped mm-hmm. because the Trump administration has yet to really provide substantive details on what that attack was. That kind of raises questions as to whether or not it was there. It also, if it's so top secret and it mm-hmm. truly was a threat, then obviously they won't reveal that because chances no. are the plans are still in the works. Um, so, you know, it's it's intelligence department. A lot of these things aren't clear to the public for upwards of 50 years afterwards. So I think mm. the full picture won't be seen um, for Until later. years yeah. to come. Okay. Preemptive self-defense is the international yep. legal term for this. Yep, I, <laughs> that, that's pretty much the claim that, that the Trump administration is putting forward. Um, and, and if true, it, it's not as if this isn't without precedent, you know, pretty yeah. much since we've had the capability of launching these preemptive strikes, yeah. the U.S. presidents have taken such action. Mm-hmm. And again, I'm not going to go on record and defend Soleimani as a great person. Um, he was, he was objectively a, a no. terrible human being aside from the people of Iran who, who truly seemed to love him, whether or not that was forced or not, we'll uh, never know. And politically, Iran's... You know, not just viewed as an adversary here, but like in most of the Western world, yeah. it is. St- yeah, and state sponsor of terror. Yeah, mm-hmm. so I think diplomatically, and just sort of in terms of international relations and geopolitics, it makes sense why. You know, we are not. Whether is military action and political. You know. I don't. There's. There is a reason why uh, Trump did this, like you said, the way and the manner in which it happened and sort of like stirring this potential World War Three dialogue. Maybe that's not the best way to go about this, but I think um, there definitely is a reason why this happened. Mm-hmm. And, yeah. I, I was just going to shift gears a little bit. I was 
January 3rd, when they killed him, I was, was the day before I left to go to Israel. And on January 8th, I was Great in time. Israel, right outside of Tel Aviv. And I, find, I found it super interesting because a day or two later, we went to Tel Aviv University and we were talking to a group of students there, a group of student leaders, and all, all but one of them was ex-IDF. Okay, so like they had served in the military, and I said, "Do you do people on your on campus, people that you're friends with, talk about or have an opinion about the U.S. military intervention in the Middle East?" They said, "No, we don't even think about it." And I r- really, wow. you don't think about it? like, from my understanding, Tel Aviv was one of the places that was on the short list for that. Iran was going to bomb. Iran's threatened nuclear annihilation. They literally want to push them into the sea. Yes. I I, I was completely flabbergasted by, like, you don't even think about it. You're -hmm. you're Mm -hmm. ex-military. How can you not, like, how can that not be fresh in your mind? Like, I I don't know. I mean, Israel has their own set of of problems to deal with. True, but you think, (laughs) you would think that you would worry about Big Brother not messing up too bad. And I guess going back to to what we've done with the Kurds, I, I think as of things stand right now, the U.S. shouldn't be looked at as a completely credible ally. Um, True. In, in any capacity, so. True. Perhaps Israel should. Israel's Israel's a little different than the Israelis are different than the Kurdish. True, completely different relationship. But I, I think as it stands right now, if I was an ally in the Middle East, I'd be less than thrilled with the way that mm-hmm. Trump's kind of gone about some of his policies in the Middle East. Granted. They have been less than thrilled with U.S. policies in the Middle East for decades. Right. So this is kind of a continuation of letting down the world. Yeah. Um, all right. Uh, it's getting close to seven o'clock here, so let, let, let's wrap it up. Let's. It, it's a whole new semester, guys. It's time full of hope. It's a time full of joy. It's a time for hopefully relaxation. Um, is there anything that you guys are really looking forward to this semester? And it can be literally anything. Spring. <laughs> anything about spring necessarily? Spring. Winter to be it over. being spring. Just Winter. in general, the season. 45 degree yeah. days. The transition is nice. Like I like the transition. Mm. I'll, I'll sign up for that being something to look forward to. Winter is not my ideal time. Mm. I'm going to take it one step further and say May. And let's just get right to almost summer. To finals. Ooh. Right to finals. Right. That, that's exactly what I want. I just want to take my oh exams. My Graduation. <laughs> I'm looking forward to May 9th when we have no more finals. Is it that early? Yeah, that's when graduation ends. Wow. You guys, wow, you guys already want to end it. I'm looking forward to spring break, guys. Okay, I'm going to take it one step back, you know. <laughs> I want that spring break. I'll be going to Cancun, so like. So really, you seven. want the same thing, though. <laughs> But not, it's just a break. You want the same. You want the same thing, just entitled differently, a little differently. I still want to come back. I don't want the year to go by that fast, or the semester. (laughs) I like my semester. Well, I mean, it's it's not that I want it to go by fast, but I definitely wouldn't mind just. uh, Oh, warmer. Yeah. Yeah, it's just that, and it's. I think it's just everybody's mood. Everybody's just so grim and grumpy in the winter. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And especially freaking having to rely on the buses in the winter. Good luck. I guess. Hey, speaking of being grim and grumpy, Sopo is going to be throwing an event about seasonal depression. Uh, do, do you recall what date that's going to be, Jacob? That's Wednesday, February 5th. 7 to 8 p.m. Or 6 no, to 7 no, no. p.m. No. No? Also wrong. Oh, good. 5.30 p.m. 5.30 p.m. My lack of organization is definitely convinced. Goodie bags will be provided. Hey. So, yeah, you guys should look forward to that. Um, 
as as things stand now, we also have a minor celebrity in the room. Oh. Uh, Reagan has just achieved mm-hmm. Twitter fame for her yes. commentary on The Bachelor. So oh, really? Sure I hit 2,900 likes on Monday night. I'm freaking Twitter famous. <laughs> what was the tweet? Yeah. Okay, I'll pass it around. Well, you have to okay, read it out read loud. It, read it, yeah. This is, okay, wow. you're not going to get it unless you were watching. So, basically... The Chris Jenner works hard, but the Bachelor producers work harder. They figured out that Victoria F. used to date Chase Rice, who was a country singer. So what they did was they gave Peter and Victoria F. a one-on-one date in which Chase Rice was performing in front of them. So <laughs> okay. Peter is, you know, dancing and making out with Victoria F. while Chase Rice, her ex-boyfriend, is singing in front of them. This is like the whole thing is just warfare. beautiful. And, and, and Peter... Didn't know? No, they had no idea this was happening. Peter didn't know they used to date. It got even funnier because afterwards, Peter was like, oh my gosh, you should sing at our wedding. And they exchanged <laughs> phone numbers. They were being all goody-goody. And then later that night, during the dinner portion of the one-on-one date, Victoria F. was like, I used to date Chase. And his first reaction was, Chase the singer? Like, no, Chase Matthews from Vic- Zoe 101. Like, who else would it be? So the joke is, my tweet says... Peter's face while he said the singer Chase. And then I attached a picture of the math woman meme. Yeah. Beautiful. I also had another tweet that got 1,900 likes. And it was, so there was another fight that broke out. Oh, God. Okay, this is a whole. You're, so yeah. your Twitter your Twitter is just The Bachelor. What's your, what's your Twitter handle? What's I'm, your Twitter? Looking, well, yeah. I'm, I'm looking through it right now. It's only The Bachelor. Okay, I put a disclaimer in my bio. Yeah. So, like, the follow me on Twitter, at Reagan Eckley. I'll, I'll follow you. I'm just not going to understand anything you tweet about. The Bachelor's a whole different world. If, and if okay, you're not I'll in show it you from, my like, personal day one, favorite. you don't know. It's regarding the Victoria F. and Chase Rice situation. Oh, that's actually We funny. all know who Robert told Rousey. the Bachelor producers about Victoria F. and Chase Rice. And then it's a picture of Robbie Shapiro from Victoria's as Rabarazzi. I thought that was pretty funny. Starring Robbie Shapiro. <laughs> I absolutely love all the references to Nick shows that you have. Thank on. you. Yeah. Yes, Fun there's five hours worth of episodes next week. I'm gonna die. Wait, what? There's a three-hour episode on Monday, and Who then another. Who could watch two... three hours of that? I'm not going to. They had a three-hour premiere, and I couldn't get through it. It was so much. I- I'm sure they still had like three million people watching. And no, look, I love Peter to death, but this man has no idea what he wants. So there is no way I can watch him sit there confused for three hours. <laughs> but that's a different story. All right. Well, I think that's a wrap. Yeah. Do, do we have any other upcoming events let's, that we want to put out there for the public right bachelor now? Bachelor podcast. I, I agree. We, we should have. A I would not be able to commentate at all. Can I actually do that? No. No. All right. Let's get out of here. Thanks for listening, everyone. Tune in next time. Yeah. Mm-hmm.